0: I'd like you to take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. You'll find that on page 1886 in the Book Rack Bible in front of you. 1886, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're in this series called Keeping It Together When Your Life is Falling Apart. And most of us are going to be in a, a situation sooner or later where you feel like your life is falling apart. And if you're not in one now, don't feel too proud because you're about to be in one probably Um, and and if you've been through one, you're likely to go through another one. I mean, this is the way life is. This is the rhythm of life. And so we've said if you're in trouble, if you feel like your life is falling apart, there's a few things you need. We've suggested, one, you need an encounter with the living God. Number two, you need a a loving community. You need to remember that you're not alone. Number three, you need a clear path. That was last week, and we looked at God's instructions and trusting his promises, and today we're going to look at, we need a living hope. Everybody say those two words, living hope. And in Christ, we have this living hope. It's amazing. And we're going to see all this right here in 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, there's a verse in the, in the Proverbs, that's beautiful, just before we get to 1 Peter. Let's read it out loud together. It says this in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Isn't that good? So, you know, uh, hope deferred uh, makes the heart sick. If if you don't have hope, if you don't feel like you have hope, man, you're in a really bad place, really tough place. But there's something about hope that comes in and and becomes like a tree of life. It becomes something strong that we can hold on to and and cling to during the crazy uh, world that we live in and during the crazy seasons. Of our lives. So, what I want to do this morning, I want to read through this passage, beginning in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the word of God. Let's listen carefully. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this is about hope and specifically it's about a living hope. You know, sometimes pastors, we worry about, you know, like what our preaching text is gonna be when these, you know, crazy crises happen in our communities or in our country. And I want you to know, two months ago, we were planning this series, and six or five weeks ago, I was writing this message, and here we are, and I can't think of a better text and a greater theme to talk about on a day like today than a living hope. And the reason why we have a living hope is because we have a living Savior. And we have a Lord that knows exactly what we're going through and knows exactly what we need. And you might say, well, Larry, that's great, Pastor, fantastic. I'm glad you have a hope. I'm glad that people around you have a hope. But I don't feel like I've got much hope. That's what you might be feeling today. You might feel like the hope is sort of like just getting really, really narrow and dark and there's, there's really not a whole lot to hold on to. And you kind of feel like maybe you're not even qualified for hope. But I want to encourage you with a, a verse from the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, uh, that talks about the qualification for hope. If you feel like you're disqualified from hope today, here's the great news. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 9. It says, anyone who is among you, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Okay. So this says the qualification, the qualification for hope is that you are alive. So if you feel like you've discounted or that you don't have any way or any qualification for hope, uh, take courage. Uh, If you're alive this morning, you have hope. So why why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm alive, I've got hope. Okay, would you do that? Okay. It's a good reminder. (laughs) It's a good reminder. The first thing I want you to see from this living hope that Peter talks about here, and I'm going to give you five things, and they're going to go fast. Uh, you're going to see some things today that I hope will encourage you. And by the way, the word hope in the New Testament, it always deals with a joyful anticipation of what's coming. And, and you think to yourself, well, who in the world can have joyful anticipation when life is really not going very well? Believers can. Believers in Jesus Christ can have a joyful anticipation for what's coming. I'm thinking of my friend Rob, who's in our congregation. Uh, a, few, a couple months ago, he was in a pool with his son, his adult son, and they were roughhousing and monkeying around, and his son comes up and shakes his head and hits his head, and he's like, whoa, that kind of rung my bell. Well, he goes to work the next day, and he's got like these floaters in his eye. He can't see really well. He goes to a doctor, long story short, He's had two, uh, his retina detached, two retina surgeries. He's half blind in this eye. He's only got 50% vision. And I talked to him on the phone the other day, and he's like, wow, you know, the doctor told me, I've only got 50% chance of even getting any more vision back than I've got. And, and he goes, but you know, I'm excited. I told the doctor, I believe in a God who can do miracles, and I, I believe I'm going to have 100% vision in that eye. And he's just joyful and excited because he's got A what? A living hope, that's right. I'm thinking of my friend Ed, whose wife Joyce has fourth stage ovarian cancer and they've been through all kinds of tests and chemo and things going on, their life is upside down and every time I talk to Ed, he's like, you know, God is so good. We're just trusting God that he's going to bring us through this. And we know he has a plan. And, and all, both Rob and Ed, and I'm thinking of someone who lost their home in the fire. I'm thinking of someone who, who recently got diagnosed with another situation, very critical illness. And yet people that I know that are just saying, you know, we're trusting God. Doesn't mean that they're, that they're like, oh, good, I'm glad this has happened in my life. I mean, they've got their heads on straight. They know the realities. They know the issues that are going on. But they've got a joyful anticipation that God is in control of everything that's going on. And so they've got this living hope. And this is what Peter's talking about here. So if you're taking notes, five things I want you to see that this living hope does. And this is fantastic. Number one, uh, this living hope is something that only God can give. That's the first thing I want you to see. Only God can give us a living hope. Now, there's a lot of counterfeit hopes around in our culture, and there's a lot of people that have, like, false hopes in things, but and there's, there's a, a human kind of hope that we can have, but there's nothing like the living hope that only God can give. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, as a pastor, you always look for where in the preaching text is the gospel, and, and the Gospels in all of this. But right here in verse 3, look at these words. Uh, mercy, new birth, living hope, resurrection of Jesus. All these are just the most precious words to us as followers of Jesus because we know that they are defining who we are as followers of Jesus. We have been given mercy by God. We're all sinners. We know it. Your family knows it. <laughs> Your wife knows it. Your husband knows it. Your kids know it. We, every, we're, we're pretending if we don't admit that we're sinners. And God, being rich in mercy, has, because of his love for us, Ephesians 2, 4, has given us this amazing gift of eternal life. And, and you talk about this new birth. You know, in John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be what? Born, Born again. And later on in 1 Peter, down to verse 23, where we read these words that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So all these words are very precious to a believer because they define and outline who we are, who we are in Christ. And, and by the way, if you're taking notes, I want you to see that this is available to all, to any who believe and follow Jesus. Anyone can experience this living hope, and I hope that you have that today. And this is a good place right here, right now, to ask yourself if you have this living hope. And this is why the Apostle Paul prayed this way to the brothers and sisters in Rome in, uh, in chapter 15 of Romans, 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with joy, or excuse me, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where God says through the prophet, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is God. This is the God we serve. Aren't you glad? I mean, God is amazing. And one of the things he does is he instills in us a living hope and it only comes from him. You can't get the hope that we're describing here this morning apart from a relationship with him. And so now's the time to ask yourself, am I looking for hope inside or outside of a relationship with God through his son, Jesus? And if you're looking for hope outside, you're going to look and look and look and look and look, and you're never going to experience the hope that you could have in Christ. A second thing about this living hope is not only is it something that only God can give us, but it's what helps us move forward, it's what what helps us move forward being sure of what our future holds. I see that in verse 4, where he talks about this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. Some of us feel kind of stuck today. And, and we feel like we really, really don't know if we can keep going in life. Uh, but hope, as we read in the New Testament, throughout the Bible, hope is not just a noun. It's not something that exists or available. It's something that can be put into action. Hope is also a verb. We can hope in the Lord. And when we hope in the Lord, that's like, in the human sense, we think of the word hope as like, you know, wishful thinking, but that's not biblical hope. A living hope is confidence that God is in control and that he's gonna do what he wants to do and glorify his name. And so much so that it places before us this promise of what is in our future. So if you're taking notes, I want you to see that we have this inheritance that is absolutely indestructible. An inheritance that's indestructible. Um, I, I think of how timely it is when we look at the news and we see you know, entire neighborhoods brought to ashes. And I was thinking about that this week when I heard from my wife, she walks in the room and she says, hey, guess what? Sandy just called and told us the story. Uh, Sandy, her good friend Sandy and her husband, Doug, I had the privilege of marrying uh I don't know, a couple of dozen years ago. Uh, Actually, quite not that long ago, maybe 15 years ago. And uh, we were in the home of Sandy's brother, who was this beautiful vineyard home up in the Sonoma area. And uh, so you know where the story is going. So my wife says, guess what? The home where you did the wedding for Sandy and Doug uh, burned to the ground. And I was thinking, wow, because it was so vivid in my mind. Immediately when she told me this, I remember standing in the living room, giant fireplace, beautiful rooms. It was sort of an architectural wonder. It was on a vineyard. There was a a beautiful pool. Her brother, very wealthy man, uh, entrepreneurial. He actually eventually turned that place into like a wedding venue, destination wedding venue, and then he sold the place so it wasn't his place anymore, but just to hear that the place where we stood and did the vows and they got married and all the beauty of that place is done, gone, ashes. It just sort of brought home to me, we see these things on the news, but these are people's homes. These are people's properties. You know, livestock and animals that have just been vaporized. People, 40 now, the death toll. And you can't do an autopsy on a cremated body. It's just crazy to think about all of what's happened in the last week. And I was, I was contrasting what I felt there in that moment to what Peter reminds us here in the Word of God is that we have an inheritance that will never fade, never perish, indestructible, kept in heaven for us. It's the promise of Scripture. I'm thinking of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Isn't that interesting? You know, so once in a while I have people say to me, well, that's great for you, you know, your Christianity, great for you, good for you, you know. Uh, But I think, wow, if it's, and and they say, you know, it's just this life, It's, it's almost as if, you know, like, like, they're comparing their lives to mine and that I've, in this life I've got Jesus and so big deal. But I think if if it's only in this life that I have Jesus, Paul says, I should be most to be pitied because this life is soon going to be gone. And there's we we either have an inheritance with God in heaven or we have an eternal destiny apart from God in a place called hell that is just as real as heaven. And we need to, in our hearts, examine in our own lives today, are we... Are we people of God? Are we? Do we belong to Christ? Do we have this living hope? That's why Paul prayed in the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 18. Paul prayed about the Ephesians. He said, I pray also that your eyes, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And I think of Revelation 21 where... John, the writer, says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. I mean, is there any more hopeful reality than that to know that heaven one day is coming? And I just think, wow, what a glorious reality that is. Yesterday, uh, we had a memorial service for a a woman who two weeks ago today, I went and visited in the hospital. She, uh, her sister Sharon attends our church uh, Sharon and Tony and love peop- love these people. They're so gracious. And I've been praying for Renee. I've been praying for her for several months. She's been doing chemo treatments down here in, in the hospital uh, locally. And so she's been staying with Tony and Sharon. And two weeks ago, I get this text going out of church. Hey, my sister, is, she's really on her way out. Is there any way you could come visit? So, of course, I, I go down to San Leandro Hospital, uh, Kaiser And I go in there and I walk in her room and this beautiful lady who is in her hospital bed. She doesn't even look sick to me, but she's, you know, she's dying of cancer. And she looks at me and she says, I want to go home. That's what she says. I said, wow, I know what you mean. I mean, I knew she didn't mean I want to go home to my physical home in Reading or my temporary home in Castro Valley. I want to go home, home. That's where I want to go. And I said, wow. And, of course, she was in a little weakened state, and her sister was there, and Lee, her loving husband, and we gathered around the bedside, and there was another dear friend there, Deborah, and we we prayed. And she wanted to just go home, so they were putting her on hospice the next morning, and four days later, I get the call from Sharon, guess what, my sister, she got home, hospice set her up, ten minutes later, she's gone. She, She went home. She went home. Yesterday we celebrated her life and it was glorious. Oh my goodness. Praise, worship, power, beauty, testimonies, how her life touched. And I thought this is what Revelation 21 is about and we're getting a little glimpse of it right here where God dries our ears, where we know that it's sad we lose a loved one and her husband in tears giving a testimony but in joy and singing and praising God. I was in a praise service yesterday and it was beautiful so only God can give us this living hope and this living hope keeps us moving forward when life looks really dark. And the third thing about this living hope, verse five, it's what assures us that God has our back. Look at verse five. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. So God has this power that protects us and watches our back this living hope assures us that God has our back that he knows what's best for us that we can trust him that we can claim Romans eight twenty eight; that we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who are love God and called according to his purpose and uh, I'm just grateful that God has my back aren't you now now you say well wait a minute I, I've had terrible things happen in my life where was God when those things happened God in his supernatural—I don't, I don't know, I can't explain, but God promises that if you belong to him, nothing's going to happen in your life that has not first passed through his sovereign plan for you. And he's actually going to use, we're going to see this next week in the last week of this series, he's actually going to use whatever it is that you're going through that you don't want to be going through, he's going to allow that to be used somehow for his glory so that you can actually help other people are going through what you're going through. I know that's hard to take. For some of us, it's too raw. But the, the image I have in my mind is, is a God that knows exactly our limits and knows what we need. And if we know him, this really, this is a promise to believers in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, then the stuff that happens in your life can. And God would use it to draw you to himself. But you don't have the same banner of God's going to work this out for my good until you submit to his plan And this is the miracle thing of God that he's going to even use the stuff in your life before you became a Christian to work out for your good and for his glory once you belong to him. What a promise that is. I think of people that hold on to all the the terrible stuff in life, shaking their fist at God, and they wonder why their life is so troublesome and so messed up. And it's like, why don't you let go of that and trust what God can do for you? I have a sister, I've told the story before, but it bears repeating maybe in this moment. I was in third grade, I think, at the time. I, I was bullied around by a kid in my block. Three doors down, this guy lived, Mark Soper. You know, every time he saw me, oh, there's Pencil Neck Vold. You know, there's, there's four eyes, you know. He pushed me around. You're dumb. You're, you know, he's in junior high. I'm in third grade. I'm scared to death of this guy. One day, my sister, who's also in junior high, sees what's going on. She comes out and she just gets right between me and Mark and she just socks him right in the face. <laughs> junior high. Knocks his tooth loose. He's on the floor, ground, you know. What happened? I'm kind of going, hey, you know. <laughs> I'm walking around a little more tall now in the neighborhood. Because Mark knows if he messes with me, he's going to mess with my sister. And the funny thing is, you know, later on, you know, Mark and I, we became friends, you know. Uh, he was always a little leery about my sister, but he became <laughs> friends with me. And, it, and it's just funny how that works. But I've always had that image in my mind when my sister stood in between me and Mark and said, look, you mess with him, you're messing with me. And I just believe that God, this is what, listen, look at it again, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power. I love the fact that God puts a shield between me and whatever's going to happen in my life. And by the way, notice it's the shield through faith are shielded by God's power. So God's part is protection. Our part is faith. So if you're writing that down, you may want to take note. We're protected by God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in Ephesians, we're to pick up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And Paul talks about this armor that we wear, you know, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the, 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 the helmet of salvation, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All those are images, they're metaphors of the armor that we wear when we go out in battle. And every day, by the way, hello, we're in battle every day. You know, a lot of us live like we're in peacetime, everything's great. You know, if you went up and talked to the believers that live in Sonoma right now and where they look at night, it's just nothing but flames. And in the daytime, it's nothing but smoke. I think you would say, wow, you know, uh, they know a little bit of what the physical battle is, but they're dealing with spiritual stuff too, right? Because there's discouragement and there's loss of things. And there's like, what do I do with my life? And okay, my house survived, but my job is gone or my job is gone. My house... er I mean, I don't know how God's going to do all this stuff. I don't know how he's going to put people's lives together, but I have a feeling he's going to do it through a lot of people that are watching and like us who are praying and giving and willing to go and support. And there's going to be people come alongside of each other that would have never dreamed they would have had that opportunity and the gospel's going to go out. And I have a feeling tonight at that prayer meeting that there's going to be some praise going down in that meeting, even though there's a lot of people who are hurt. So... So those are some things I see readily. There's a fourth thing I see about this living hope quickly, and that is it's what keeps our heads up during the hard seasons of life. Um, I see that in verses 6 and 7. In this, notice, you greatly rejoice. Oh, I didn't even tell you the context. I'm trusting, assuming that a lot of you know. You know, Peter wrote this book. The Apostle Peter, one of the Lord's disciples, wrote the book of 1 Peter near the end of his life, probably in the mid to late 60s, first century. This is a historical book about historical events. Peter was writing, no doubt, around the time of Nero, the emperor of Rome, who looked for a scapegoat for all the terrible things that he was doing, even setting Rome on fire and blaming Christians for it. And Peter would have become one of Rome's victims himself as he was, tradition shows us, crucified and not wanting to be crucified by, his, by in the same way that his Lord was. He asked to be crucified upside down. We don't have that in scripture, but we have that in tradition, but we know he was martyred for his faith. This is a man who's writing to people who are going through terrible times of Destruction and harrowing experience. And he says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. God is the lifter of our heads. Why? Two things why. Number one, for a little while you have had to suffer. I say, We know that these are seasons, we know these seasons are temporary. And this is why we can rejoice. We know these seasons are temporary. I mean, if you're in a season right now that's really hard, you can at least take knowledge of the fact that the season will someday be over. You say, well, wait a minute. My whole life, I've had trouble and hardship from the very beginning my whole life. And I say to you, well, good thing it's only been life. (laughs) I'm being a little silly there, but... I mean, what is what is? Let's say your whole. Let's say you lived eighty years, and all you had was trial and problems, and poverty, and sickness, and 80 80 long years of your life, and then you die. But you knew Jesus Christ, and you say, "Where was my hope for eighty years?" And you say, "Now you look back on your other side. You're on the other side of death, and now all that was faith has become sight, and your reward is there." And There's promise of heaven and Revelation 21 and all these things. And you think, hmm, 80 years compared to eternity? I mean, just get a little, I think what Peter's saying is let's get a little perspective here. No matter what season you're in, as hard as the season might be, and I've had a cushy life, I'm going to just tell you right now. I've not had huge, terrible experiences or long seasons of terrible experiences. I don't know what God has for me in the last part of my life. I don't know. But I know this, that whatever it is that I've gone through, in, in seasons where I thought, where I despaired, where I didn't want to be, I could say, God, I thank you that it's a season. Thank you that it's a season. And I think that's what Peter's trying to get to here. Not only is it temporary, but number two, we can rejoice because we know that we're being refined to prove that our faith is genuine. What do seasons of trial do for us? They refine us. What do seasons of trial do for us? Say it with me. They refine us. And so this is a beautiful thing. Genuine believers ultimately find greater strength and focus in their lives as a result of the very things that they wish they never had to deal with. Cancer, illness, injuries, difficult relationships, opposition, persecution, rebellious kids, loss of job, pressure at work. Have I left anything out? I mean, there's just on and on it goes, but God is the lifter of our head. Because we know that the season is temporary and we know that he's refining us. And, you know, I didn't mention it further back a little bit. I would just mention that, you know, this is a cadence. This is a rhythm of the Christian life. Psalm 42 and 43 has this little refrain that goes something like this. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why is my heart so disturbed within me? And then it comes... The response comes, put your hope in God, yet I will praise him. Put your hope in God. So this is kind of the rhythm of the Christian life. This is the rhythm of my life. Some days I feel like, why so disturbed on my soul? Why so down within me? And then I say to myself, put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him. And this is the dialogue, the inner dialogue that we share every single day of our lives. There's high and highs and lows of every day and every hour. There's this high and low experience and seasons of high and low. Why so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. Yet I, I will yet praise him. So learn that rhythm. Learn the cadence. If you're in one of the low seasons of life, don't think that God's abandoned you, that God's forsaken you, that God doesn't love you. That's not the case. If you're one of those high seasons of life, remember that there's gonna be a low season coming soon. So in the high season of life, just trust God. Thank him, give him praise and, and prepare your heart for what's coming because it, there's the cadence. It's up and down, high and low. And lastly, I gotta wrap this up. This living hope is what produces a love for and belief in Jesus no matter what our circumstances. And I see this here in verse nine. Uh, It results in the kind of joy that anticipates a heavenly future in our daily experiences. Do you see this? Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. This is a picture of God actually giving to us a confidence of his presence and sort of having this little heavenly moment, even in life's darkest hours. Or even if it's not life's darkest hour, we just get little glimpses of heaven. I think it should happen in services like this where we're praising God, where we're thanking him, where we're giving him glory. We get these little glimpses of heaven so that we love Jesus more and that we believe him more in our lives. And that it happens in the day-to-day right here, right now. I don't know about you, but that's something I look forward to every day. Lord, where is that moment? Sometimes it comes upon us. It's kind of an emotional moment where it just happens. Sometimes it's it's more intellectual. We know God's in control. We're going to give him praise and we're going to thank him even though we don't really feel like smiling and we don't really feel like praising. But that's the beauty of following Christ, isn't it? I mean, the beauty of following Christ is knowing that there's a day-to-day experience where sometimes it can feel so raw and so hard, but Jesus breaks in in moments, and he just reminds us he's there, and he loves us, and he's not forsaken us. And so, beloved, let's take courage in that today. If you feel like your life is falling apart, you need to know that there's a living hope, and it's found in Jesus. Amen?